We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. And if you have your Bibles, would you please open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we will live for a little bit of time in verses 16 and 17. Prior to beginning, I just want to mention another special family that's here, um, Pastor Godwin and his wife Jenny. We're so glad you're here. (laughs) Steve is a member at Faith Church, but here comes Godwin. Uh, 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 Godwin's a pastor at Faith Church. A little bit of history real quick. Faith planted Hope Church. Hope Church planted Antioch. Antioch planted us. There are great grandpa church right and um and so or is it just grandpa church what they're a family they're family uh uh, this church is a a wonderful gospel uh, driven gospel centered word centric church um godwin is a dear friend Um, we call each other often i'll run ideas by him and he'll go no 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 no, don't do that don't do that And so he's just, he's, he's a good gospel partner and, uh, and a good friend. And so I just, they're on sabbatical. Oftentimes when pastors are on, um, sabbaticals, times of rest, they can visit other churches, just be, be filled. And so we pray today that you guys would be encouraged and built up. We're glad you're here. And we just want to thank you for, um, your ministry. Mm-hmm. Well, friends, last week we started our solas series for the summer, and we started with sola scriptura. Um, We made the statement that scripture alone is our final authority. It is the supreme authority. It offers the supreme answers, and we're going to live in sola scriptura for the next month or so prior to going to Christ alone, faith alone, things like that, because we need to be grounded in the scriptures as a church family. Last week, we saw this, this visual representation of where Scripture stood with regards to different players from the early church. We met Scripture. We met tradition. We met reason. Do you remember this? We met experience. We met feelings. And we saw throughout time that, that all of those players stood center stage. But our hope and prayer is that that Scripture would be at the front and center, and that reason, tradition, feelings, experience would all come secondary, would all stand behind what is supposed to be front and center, Scripture. And so, if you were on board last week with us, um, awesome. The goal was to say right off the, uh, off the bat, right, like right out of the gate, that the Bible is to be our final authority and the prayer would be that we would read it and love it and obey it and have the attitude, I'll, I will do whatever it says. If it says it, yes. 
That's me. I, I want my life to be surrendered unto the Lord. And that means under the authority of Scripture. But if you are at a place where you're still wrestling, or we could say where you're still like not quite yet yielded to God's Word, you might be asking questions such as, what gives Scripture the right to be center stage? Like, does it, does it deserve to be there? Or is it like that girl in the high school musical play that like just got the part because she knows the director, but she really can't act and she can't hit the high notes, but she got the part? Is it like the Bible? Ah, there's just no one else to do it, so we might as well just fill this spot. So this week, as we just take step after step, learning and growing in what it means to have the conviction of sola scriptura, we're going to make this argument. Ready? That the Bible deserves center stage because it is, and here's three things, ready? It is inspired, it is inerrant, and it is sufficient. Those three things. Inspired, inerrant, and sufficient. And if I could just kind of maybe anticipate, um, if I was in your shoes right now, maybe a reaction could be, oh, heard that. I'm good with that, Pastor Mike. I'm glad that we're like saying the right answers. And then you could be like, right, I'm going to check out now because I'm just, I'm just like comforted that, uh, that we're talking about nice things. <laughs> right? Um, or maybe you're like me in high school, maybe not those folks from Loveland High School, but maybe, maybe if you're like me in high school in history class, you're like Sola Scriptura, Latin, history, oh man, I'll listen to it, but I'll just listen to it so that I get the right answers if I'm ever asked. And so you're not really heart engaged loving it, you're just, it's more transactional for you. Maybe you're like inerrant, Sufficient, inspired, cool, check the box. But I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know how to quite respond to that. Um, today, friends, hopefully, uh, as we go through God's word, that He's going to beckon. He's going to. He's going to urge a response from you. The role. Uh, different than a history class, but the role of, of a sermon, as we see God's Word, it's, it's to deliver it with an unction to change. For you to leave from here different. For you to say, you know what? Because I was here this morning, I love God more, and I want to follow Him more with my life. And so for every statement that we're going to make, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, Sufficient. We're going to call our church to respond to it. So buckle up. Here we go. Are you ready? All right, here's the first statement. The Bible deserves center stage. Number one, because it is inspired. Inspired. So, any of you know me, um, when, I, uh, when I was junior high, high school, I was a jock. Okay, But I was a jock who was in choir because I had to fill a requirement. And I started really liking singing. And so my parents said, well, why don't you get some voice lessons? The choir teacher, who's a girl, thinks I should. 
and there's this guy over here at a local college, and he, she thinks that you should take some voice lessons. So I was like, oh, whatever, I'll take some voice lessons, okay? So I started taking some voice lessons when I was in high school. I remember my first voice lesson. The guy's name was Dr. Rosewall, wonderful man. He said, Mike, there are three things you need to know about singing. Number one, the most important thing, breathing. In order to sing, you got to breathe well. And I'm going to teach you how to breathe, okay? The second most important thing about singing is you got to hit the right notes, right? you got to like sing the right stuff, okay? And the third thing that you need to know, the first is breathing, the second is hitting the right notes, the third thing is breathing. And I was like, he's like yeah, you heard me right. It is so important about singing. It will help you sing on the stage. You ever want to be a center stage and be a singer? You've got to know how to breathe. That will qualify you. That will set you up to sing. Because it's really important. Uh, I took a class in college called vocal pedagogy. It was the science. How the breath works and how the phonation works to come in, to pass through your throat to go down into the lungs, to come up and to go through the vocal cords in order to vibrate, to dentalize, to have the breath come through the teeth, the tongue in order to form the lips, to make the, the certain vowels or consonants in order to say something. Like we studied all of that, right? And when it comes to the Bible being center stage and everything that goes behind it, evidently, it's the breath that gives it and has it be deserving of the front and center, the supreme and final authority. It's the very source of God's speech. Scripture, here's the statement, you got to just lock in. Scripture is the very speech of God. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3.16 together, okay? If you're new to the Scriptures, that's way to the right. The T's are together. So if you find Thessalonians or Titus, you're right in that ballpark of the Timothys. This is a, an epistle to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen for you. It says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'd like to just walk us through that verse throughout our time together. Um, if you uh, have started already, um, awesome. You're not too late to start if you don't have a plan to grow in Christ and read the Scriptures this summer, but we are... Um, uh, doing the heart of the Reformation. This is a 90-day devotional. Um, you can pick one up in the back for five bucks. Here's what this book says on inspiration. I'm going to read it for us. The Greek word translated as breathed out in 2 Timothy 3.16, the verse that we just read, is theonoustos. And Scripture is the only thing described as such by the Apostles. Thus, Scripture has a unique character as the voice and the words of the Lord. Do you hear that? 
It's only that word. It's only used one time, and it's talking about particularly Scripture. And so, Scripture, the Bible, has a unique voice. The very words of God. I remember in my twenties, uh, I was living in Texas at the time, and I was with a friend. And there was this speaker that came into town, and me and a friend hosted him. And he was in his sixties, okay. And um, I remember taking him to Sonic because that's what you did when you were 20 years old with a speaker. We wanted to show him Texas hospitality, so we took him to Sonic. And I remember this guy, okay? He looked back at the both of us. Um, We were in the back seat. He was in shotgun. There was one other guy driving the car. And he goes, Mike, and this other guy, do you guys, talking like this, like passionate 60-year-old, do you guys believe in inspiration? Do you believe in the inspiration of Scripture? And I remember my friend who, you know, sometimes in your 20s and maybe you're like just out of college and you're kind of a little bit cocky, a little bit arrogant. He goes, well, depends on what you mean by inspiration. And I remember the 60-year-old guy. Wasn't interested in playing all these definition games, you know. He's been around the block. It wasn't his first rodeo. That's what we say in Texas anyway. And he says... God breathed. And it was almost like, uh, you know, my friend just went, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I knew that was the definition. I was just saying that's what you meant, you know, kind of that, that attitude. But we need to be that strong when it comes to the doctrine of inspiration. It is God breathed. Church. God breathed out and it landed on a page. That's what the Bible is saying right here. Um, not in a nuanced way, but, but in, a, in, a, in a sophisticated, intelligent way. We've got to ask though, but wait, didn't like God use like writers? Like, I mean, we just read 2 Timothy and we said it's written by Paul. How did that work? Keep your finger in 2 Timothy 3 and go ahead and flip to 2 Peter 1, 20-21. Right? We're asking the question, well, didn't God use people to write the Bible? And we're saying, yes, He did. God was the author, but He used writers to write the words. How did that work? How did that happen? Here is 2 Peter 1, 20-21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Watch this, ready? For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? I love that passage. So, the Spirit guided them to write on a page what God was breathing, what He wanted them to, to write and say. The verb carried along. It's like, the, if you want an image, it's like this leaf kind of blown on the sidewalk, turning over and over. That's what the writers were, were experiencing as, as the Holy Spirit was guiding that they, they were given the words to write. Not divorced of their own personalities or skill sets, God breathed it. They wrote it. 
And here we have the Bible. Here's the definition of inspiration. Alright, you guys are doing great. We're going real deep, real quick. This is absolutely foundational for our church. Okay? Here's the definition of inspiration. God's superintendence, we'll talk about that, of the human authors, so that, using their own personalities, they composed and recorded, without error, we're going to talk about that, His revelation to man in the words of the original manuscripts. So God, He superintended it. It's like homecoming. When uh, you know your daughter gets asked out on a date, and you're like, I would love to drive you and be the chaperone. Right? That's kind of the same idea. It, that God chaperoned it. He, he was over it. He superintended it. I'm not going to do that. I'm just kidding, by the way, with homecoming. Okay? Um, has that definition, that belief, that mindset, that conviction, has that been consistent throughout time and throughout the church? It, it hasn't. It hasn't. So I'm going to point out a few um, areas where the church has fallen and, and, and fell in the areas of understanding inspiration correctly. I'm not going to do it with an arrogant heart. I'm going to do it with an equipping heart so that you know the pitfalls. Okay? So here's, here's the first one. Okay? It says the Bible is inspiring, but not inspired. It's inspiring. This would be the view that says the Bible and all its stories. It is a wonderful piece of literature. Just like Shakespeare. Just like C.S. Lewis. It's so inspiring. Right? And while, like, while the Bible is inspiring, you know, if you're visiting here, we just, we just finished up 1 Samuel. Weren't those stories moving in incredible ways? They're supposed to. They're supposed to inspire you. They're supposed to move you from apathy to love and affection towards the Lord, right? They were very inspiring. But if we say it like that, it's just a little bit deceitful. It, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm all about the Bible. It's so inspiring. What you're actually saying is, you're, I, I think it's got great stories, but it has no authority over my life because God actually didn't write it. It's just, Cool. And if it's not authoritative in my life, well, then I can take or leave it. If, it if, if, if the mentality is I determine whether or not it's inspired or even inspiring, God isn't at the center of the book. We are. You are. I mean, I love the story of the fox and the hound. I mean, that is inspiring. This brother's talking about ugly crying. You go through that book with your kids, that is inspiring. But, fox and the hound does not have authority over my life. Right? Right. Here's another one. The Bible is subject to another authority. Okay? So the first one was, it's inspiring, just not inspired. This one's saying, the Bible... Yes, it's authoritative, but there are other things out there that are equal in authority or more authoritative than the Scriptures. So this would be people or writings that claim to have authority in such a way as to change 
the normal meaning and reading of the scriptures, right? For example, Mormonism, okay? Joseph Smith claiming to have additional authority in the understanding of the Bible, therefore has authority over it or equal to it, both in regards to its words and claims. Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower Society, they claim to have all their publications, they are inspired according to them. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists and Ellen White's 2,000 Visions and 60 Writings include statements like this. Watch this. Just equipping our church to understand. Ready? Anyone who worships on a Sunday wears the mark of the beast. Okay? Watch this one. All other churches are the devil. These are examples um, that are counted as inspired and therefore authoritative according to them. Do we believe that? No. This one, super common. Uneven inspiration. Uh, this would be views that uh, there are parts of the Bible that are inspired, but not, not all of it. Right? This would be a Thomas Jefferson in American history. Reading through the Scriptures, and this is our tendency if we read the Scriptures in our own strength and of our flesh. Whew, I like that one. Don't like that one. Oh, I love this story. Let me share. The, uh, but I'm going to avoid uneven inspiration. Right? He tore out pages of the Bible and then had it bound together to the parts that he liked, that thought were useful to him and his kingdom and his progress of things and how he thought they should be moved. Right? Uneven inspiration. What he's doing, uh, if you still have your thumbs still in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 3.16, what he's doing is totally ripping out the first word of that passage. It says, that's right, it says all Scripture. All Scripture. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about the canonization of Scripture and how we understand all to be all these 66 books. Okay, In one book called the Bible. Here is one more. Conceptual inspiration. One more. This would say that the Bible did not, uh, uh, that God did not inspire every word, the order of the words, that this paragraph should go before this one, and this. It's more of a, that the ideas or the themes of Scripture, God likes that, and, um, and, and, and His motive or intent is inspired. But not the actual words. Not the words, just the ideas. Uh, this rejects Jesus and His words about the Scriptures. That every jot and every tittle, that every little part is true. Uh, we could go into this for a long time, but Jesus, when He made claims, He hung His deity on jots and tittles and tenses of the Old Testament. So, inspiration. If you've never heard that before, praise the Lord. It's exciting. Um, that's not just something to get right, to be a good Christian, and to go, oh sweet, I agree with Pastor Mike and this church or whatever. Really, the response should be this. If God 
then I will do whatever it's necessary. I commit to reading it and obeying it. If you want the Christian life um, to be summarized for you real quickly, this is oversimplification, but it would be something like this. How do I be a Christian? How do I walk with the Lord? Do this. Read. Pray. And obey. That would be, that would be a, a summary of how to walk the Christian life. It would be, what does God want me to do? How about I check out what He already told me? And we're going to sing at the end of our, our, our time together, what more could He give than to you He has said? Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit for strength, guidance, wisdom as you walk, and then obey. I've got a, a friend on a softball team who just came to Christ, and he's so hungry. He's like, he's like frothing at the mouth, excited about following the Lord. You, you remember when you were like that? When you just came to Christ, right? And his attitude is, he reads it and he goes, I think I should probably do that. Oh, I think I should probably tell someone today about that. Right? It's just so exciting and so fresh to be around. Because it, he, he's, not, he's not like um, playing all the games. He's not trying to impress anyone. He just loves God and wants to obey. Inspiration. Okay, so if you're tracking with us so far, you're like, all right, sweet. God wrote a book. I'm all about that. Is it true though? If He wrote it, any typos? Any errors? Did He mess it up? Do, does one part ever contradict with another part? And therefore, should I just bail on the whole thing even though He wrote it? And He's a good guy. So, second statement. If you're taking notes, number two. The Bible deserves center stage because it's inerrant. Fancy word. What does inerrant mean? No errors. No errors. Alright, so students. Here we go. Raise your hand if you're a student. We're technically all students. We're all forever learners. But like, if you're 18 and under, if you're in college, okay, here we go. If you're going off to college, this is a big one. Inerrancy, because your professors are going to be like this, okay? You ready? Are you a Christian? Yeah. Do you believe in the Bible? I do. I do. Yeah. Well, how can you believe in the Bible when there's so many errors? Right? Like, like, like that's his, his question, like he thought it or something, but that's going to be asked of you, okay? And here's what we want your answers not to be like. No. <laughs> no, uh, right? Like, hopefully, hopefully, as you have sat under God's word and under the, you know this church, that that your answer is is more equipped and ready. So I want to help you get there. If your answer so far is no, uh, okay, here's a good resource for you. Okay, it's called the Chicago Statement of Inerrancy. The Chicago Statement of Inerrancy. Inerrancy. Let me read it for you. It's up on the screen. Here we go. Really catch the last couple of sentences. But it says this. The authority of Scripture is a key issue for the Christian church in this and every age. Those who profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are called to show the reality of their discipleship 
by humbly and faithfully obeying God's written word. Whoo, this is strong. I'm like getting chills so far. Here's, here it comes. Ready? To stray from Scripture in faith or conduct is disloyalty to our Master. Recognition of the total truth and trustworthiness of the Holy Scripture is essential to a full grasp and adequate confession of its authority. What's that saying? That is saying that the Bible is always true and it is going to always tell you the truth. It's always going to tell you the truth. Students, let me just talk to you plainly, okay? Most of the time, when you head off to college or whatever, students, your fellow classmates are going to say, are you Christian? Do you believe in the Bible? How can you believe in the Bible? There's no errors, <laughs> right? Most of the time, they're going to say that they actually don't know any of the errors. They're just repeating what their friends are saying. Okay? So, don't like, don't shy away from the conversation. Just, here's how I think you should respond first. Oh man, thanks for telling me that. How about we hang out? I'd love to hear some. I'd love to hear your concerns. Let's start having the conversations, bro. Let's do it. Nine times out of ten, that's actually, they're just seeing if you're going to cower. If you're going to be a coward. And so they're, wow, this person like actually is real. And he, he or she actually wants to engage in conversation. And if you would take that step, that would be a wonderful step. Most people don't take that step because this is their dominating fear. What if I start talking with someone and I don't know the answer? <laughs> right? That's how, that's, it keeps people from evangelism, keeps people from discipleship. What if I don't know the answer? Hey friends, if you don't know the answer, do you want a great answer to not knowing the answer? I don't know. I'll go look it up. Hey, let's study it together. I'm sure there's a good answer for it, right? Hey, I've been wondering the same thing. I'd like to grow in that. How about you come with me and let's grow together? It's a great way to respond. I had a friend in high school. Still had a friend here. Um, he would constantly say this to me. How can you be a Christian and follow the Bible when there's so many errors? spent years listening to him and pressing him for what are the errors? What are the errors in the Bible, bro? And by his senior year, he just said, I've just been dogging you the whole time. I don't know. I don't know the answers. I, I don't know the, the errors. He wasn't just playing the game of errors. What was he saying? This is going one level deeper than just right or wrong. He was saying, I just wanted to live my own life during high school and not subject myself to authority. The authority of Scripture. It's coming back to the authority of Scripture. I don't want to do what it says. And so I'm going to throw up these crazy excuses and say, God errors. Let us not be a people that live by those silly excuses. If you have the question, let me encourage you to do like don't even eat lunch today. Skip it and and set your mind and heart to finding out to talk. I'll stay after you. There's ten men and women in this church that'll that'll do it with you. It's a really big deal. But be vigilant to find the answers and don't if if you're just wanting to say, I just don't want authority in my life, 
Then just be honest. We good? Part of my role is just to be honest with the church, not to say niceties. And I hope that that's okay for me to say right now. Let me equip you with one more answer in the area of inerrancy, okay? I don't mean to be like all Sunday school answer on you, but Jesus is a pretty good answer when it comes to inerrancy, okay? Um, so if, uh, if the answer is Jesus, a great starting place when you're talking about doctrine and inerrancy would be this, like, why believe the Bible at all? Well, if Jesus really did raise from the dead, so we're to bring it back to the resurrection, His words, His belief, everything that He spoke about spoke to the resurrection. If the resurrection actually happened, then we've got to believe what He said, not only about the resurrection, but everything else. And Jesus, in His speaking, in His teaching, confirmed the Old Testament. Much of the New Testament is just the Old Testament quoted again. Watch in Matthew 5. You don't have to go there, but I'm just going to read it for you. Matthew 5, this is Jesus speaking. He says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until it's accomplished. That means, uh, that's like a, in the Hebrew alphabet, it's like a little T and a little F, right? He's saying everything has to be accomplished. Uh, John 10, 35, he, Jesus says, Scripture cannot be broken to, to go against the uneven inspiration people. You can't just take this and then this. It's the whole continuity of Scripture can't be broken. Either you got to embrace all of it or reject all of it. There's no like, waiting in this water. You can't just keep your head above it. Either you're drowning or you're swimming. Summary? Jesus affirmed it and used it. So bring all your arguments back to Jesus. Remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan early on in His ministry? How did He see fit to fight the evil one? It is written. It's written. And that was enough for Jesus. And it worked. So if it's inspired, if it's without error, if it's inerrant, then that leads us to say this, that it is sufficient for life and godliness. So there's our third statement. The Bible deserves center stage because it's sufficient. So we're studying Scripture alone, sola scriptura, and we're saying that it is sufficient. It provides believers with all the truth that they need for salvation and following Christ. It's sufficient. Let's just take a moment and divide that into for, for salvation and then for sanctification, for growth in Christ. Okay, uh, just look at a few verses before Second uh, Timothy three fourteen and fifteen. Okay, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Watch this, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. Isn't that great? The Bible, the sacred writings, they are able to save people 
That's how people are saved. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing by the? Amen. It's enough. It's sufficient. Second uh, Peter 1.3. This is a great one to memorize for you, for you folks. Ready? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's beautiful. Everything we need from a knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. So, let's just bring this to a close. Watch 2 Timothy 3.16 work itself out again. 3.16 and 17. In terms of sufficiency, Paul says it's profitable. What's it profitable for? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Right? Uh, hey, folks who are at work, have you ever been at a meeting for an hour? You walk away and you're like, I just wasted an hour of my life. <laughs> that was not profitable. Okay? What Scripture is saying about itself is that it is giving inner testimony about itself. The Bible is profitable. Isaiah says it won't return void. It accomplishes its intentions when it is used. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When you talk about sola scriptura, it always leads to the doctrine of sufficiency. And that means there is no need for another source outside of special revelation for faith and life in addition to the Bible. Uh, let me just say what often is misunderstood about sola scriptura. Uh, sometimes it's an accusation. Sola scriptura or solo Scriptura. No, it's sola. It means alone. Final authority. Solo would mean only. Only Scripture. The Bible alone only is to be used. Right? Uh, on Monday, I went to the dentist. I had a cavity filled. There was a crack. I was in the dentist chair. The dentist. I, I, I want my dentist to be good at dentistry stuff. Okay? Um, I, I think my dentist is a believer. I am thinking through Romans 8. Even my, my, you know, this filling, all things are happening, you know, to, for, for the good, for those who love him. I hope also that my dentist is like learning and believing that verse, right? But also I hope that she's not alone only looking at the scriptures for dental work. I want her to be trained. I want her to read the textbook on dentistry. I want the plumber that comes to my house to not just know the Bible. I want him to know the pipes and how they fit, right? And I don't want him to go, ah, oh, Lord's going to take care of it. Let's just see if it fits. Sola Scriptura is final authority. Not only. There's a recognition that God has given wisdom to other areas of life, like plumbing, like dentistry, right? But look at this verse here. It says that He equips you for every good work. So the Bible is sufficient for every good work. It's super fascinating because that's entirely different than how we think about our work and how we think about our situations and relationships. For example... I feel this all the time, right? 
Um, like when someone gets cancer, I kind of go like this. I don't know if I sh- if I can speak to this issue. I've never I've never experienced it. I've never experienced it, and so I'm not qualified or equipped to minister to this person with cancer. Anyone ever felt like that in the same vein, right? What did I just do when I think that thought? I take experience that last Sunday was standing back here, right? And I went, your experience trumps what Scripture says. And what Scripture says this Sunday is that it is enough. It's sufficient for every good work. And Mike, even when you walk into that hospital room and that person has cancer, if you use the Scripture, that's enough. It is sufficient. That should massively encourage you and equip you for all things for life and godliness. That should equip a church on so many facets, right? So like churches all across the board struggle with youth pastors, okay? Here's how it goes. The youth pastor gets hired and he's like 22, 23. And the 42, 45-year-old parent goes like this, oh, I'm so glad that we got a youth pastor. We got someone, our church will like grow or something like that, okay? But don't you tell me how to parent my 14-year-old. Because you don't know. You don't know how to parent a 14-year-old because you don't have one, <laughs> right? And while the, the youth pastor needs to be humble, he needs to recognize that he doesn't have experience in the area of parenting, what the Bible is saying, and what parents also must, must affirm and come under is that if the youth pastor uses the Scripture, then he can minister to our kids. He can do it. And he actually has the authority to do it because he's under the Word of God. If you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, you'll let a 22-year-old disciple your 14-year-old with wisdom and guidance and things like that. But that's what the sufficiency of Scripture does to a church and all sorts of stuff. Here's what it did to me, and then we'll close our time. The Lord was gracious to show me this doctrine early on in my life in ministry and marriage. When Hannah and I lived in Tanzania, East Africa for the first couple years of our marriage, I remember preparing to go to a graduation uh, of Joseph Fundi. Joseph Fundi lived in Dar es Salaam, capital of Tanzania. He was traveling up on the East Coast. And the Fundi family asked us to drive the whole family to the East Coast to go to this graduation. And I remember um, I was early on in my Swahili learning, but I was like, I am going to memorize a verse and I'm going to share it in Swahili with Joseph Fundi. So I memorized 2 Timothy 2.15, which says... um, a study to show thyself approved unto the Lord. I thought, hey, student, I'm going to pick a verse that has study in it, okay? I remember it. Ukaji funza, uji onyesha alabana, right? So that was the study, showing, reflexive term of the Lord to God, right? Okay, okay, so I memorized it. Okay, we spent the whole day with Joseph Fundi under the tree. Typical Africa stuff, right? And I remember asking him questions and talking about life and really just trying to like build relationships and rapport. And, you know, I was like, I wonder if he'll like me and personality and charisma and blah, 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 all that stuff that I think everyone feels, experiences and thinks. 
the whole day I was like, when am I going to share my verse? When am I going to share my verse? We start to leave. I was like, I haven't shared my verse yet. Lord, I, you want me to do this, right? So I, the, my group is going back to the car. I go back to Joseph and I'm saying, hey, Joseph, I, um, I've been working on a verse that I, I wanted to share with you because it's, it's just been influential in my life. And I, and I just I want you to hear it. And I remember, now again, we've spent six, seven hours with this guy. And really nothing moved in his heart. And as soon as those words that God breathed without air that are sufficient for me and him, as soon as they came out of my mouth, I actually visibly saw them, the words, affect him. It was like they came into his ears and it was like the words went right to his eyes because he started to gloss. I mean, he just got, got glossy-eyed immediately. And they went right down to his heart and he started pouring out and weeping. And I remember having a few thoughts after that going, Lord, I'm so sorry for thinking that my words were more powerful than yours. Lord, thank you for the sufficiency of Scripture. And from then on, I was convicted. What was I convicted of? I need to use the Bible in my ministry, in my life. This is not just pastor stuff, ministry stuff. This is Christian stuff. We must use the Scriptures. Why? We cannot rely on God. Let's close our time. Church, God wrote a book. It's inspired. Would you respond to it in this way? Would you sit under it? Not at your feet. We've said this before so that you pound on it like you have authority. Not across from you so you can fight it. But would you read it and respond to it every day and say, I must. That's the, that's the supernatural response to inspiration. For inerrancy, would you hold it like this? Again, not, not as a fighting mechanism, but would you trust it because there's no errors? And when you read it, would you embrace it as the very words of God? And finally, would you, with your life, would you hold it out would you use it because it's sufficient? Not only in your life, of course, but in the life of others. Would you lead with the leg of Scripture? Would you tell it to people? Would you share what you're learning? Would you read and pray and then obey? Not just a classroom. Not just a history class. Sola Scriptura calls the believer to love the Lord, to love His Word, to embrace it, sit under it, and share it. Let's pray, and then I'll dismiss them. Lord, we love You. We trust You. And we love Your words. You tell us that Your sheep know Your voice, and we want to follow hard after Your voice. And we thank You that Your voice doesn't have to be ambiguous. doesn't have to be unclear. It's very plain. It's written down for us. Lord, would You 
place it at the center stage of our lives? And would you, would you massage and warm and melt the hearts of everyone in here to love your word and to sit and bow down to it? That's our prayer. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, have a wonderful Sunday. We'll see you soon. God bless you.